In this episode of the Business of E-Commerce, I talk with Jake Cook about using data science to profitably scale cross-channel e-commerce marketing campaigns. This is the Business of E-Commerce, episode 135. Welcome to the Business of E-Commerce, the show that helps e-commerce retailers start, launch, and grow the e-commerce business. I'm your host, Charles Plesky, and I'm here today with Jake Cook. Jake is the founder of Tadpole, a company he started in 2013, where they use data to help e-commerce brands profitably scale their marketing campaigns. I asked Jake in the show today to talk about how you can use data science to scale your marketing campaigns. So, hey, Jake, how are you doing today? I'm wonderful. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I am awesome to dig in this topic a little bit. We were talking before the show about a few proposed topics and machine learning and data science. I feel like this is the new... We're in 2020. There's a lot of new things going on, but this is kind of the new hotness, right? On um, using we've we've now pulled all this data, right? And I feel like everyone's kind of getting a sense of yeah, you can like get all this stuff, and now it's like, what do we do with this? So yes, yeah. So what do you guys? So first, you so your product, right? Mm-hmm. Um, usually, I don't go into the product beginning, but it's just kind of it's interesting, right? On you guys basically hook into a lot of different pieces of data and start predicting what customers are basically going to want before they know they want it. Is that kind of the, yeah, it's, it's, we work a lot with mid market companies. And so, you know, there's lots of data and we always say it's kind of like the kitchen drawer or, you know, the junk drawer you have in your house where you open it up and there's like birthday candles and band-aids and all sorts of junk. And that's kind of how their data is structured. And so a lot of what we do is kind of suck into, uh, there's a, we call it a data pond. I mean, it's like lily pads of data, if you will. So you have Google analytics data or Shopify data, uh, inventory data, and we're sucking it all into one place. And when you can kind of get it all organized and, and neatly um, put together, you start to find some interesting insights. So for example, you might find that customers out of email buy at 30% higher than people that come through Facebook or products that, um, you know, don't have great margins, but they turn like really quick, turn out that they're total cash cows. And so, you know, well, how do you, you know, find the customers that buy those products that turn quickly? Well, now we're trying to map the inventory to the customer data. So a lot of it is kind of just drawing those correlations and helping customers um, see what's possible off these assets they already kind of already own. Yeah, I feel like a lot of this, even I was looking at something the other day with uh, just like ad attribution and there's still, it's really tough, right? Because you're... Oh. There's the same, there's social campaigns and you're doing PPC and then you're remarketing. And if you kind of just look just basic, if you have Facebook and Google and Google and AdWords going, they both, they're both saying you got a conversion here. And then you realize that's the same conversion. You, you both like, you both can't have that conversion. So like, if you did it that way, you're like, all right, double kind of, you know, you have to add it. But like, how do you know that? Are you doing it on the first click on the last click? So there's a lot of stuff here. And if you don't have like yes. one platform that kind of brings it all together in your head, you would think I got two conversions, but you really got one and until you like tie that in. It's very hard to suss out. It is. And I think it, you hit the nail on the head, you know, you're using first click or last click. How long are your attribution windows? Are you looking back 30 days, you know, and what's the you know path length or how many ways the users come in and, and go through that. And so part of the, the answer to that, and, and attribution is something that's always very, very difficult, if not impossible to, so, to solve. So, okay, so, um, so just give up. 
Yeah, well, I think <laughs> all right. <laughs> Give it's, up, uh, go home. It's kind of like you know, like trying to like stay in really good shape. It's a lot easier in your twenties and then it is in your forties or fifties. So like, you should still try, but you know, you may not get you know. <laughs> yeah, um, no, you're not ever going to get a hundred percent cut. Exactly, I think you know, but versus just throwing your hands up and saying, okay, whatever Facebook says, we converted that, we're going to buy. You know, the source of truth, all these things pipe back through Google Analytics for almost 85% of websites. And unless you're like enterprise and you can afford a really top tier analytics package, um, site analytics package, you know, Google Analytics is just fine. You know, you can do a lot with that. Yep. Yeah. And you hit the nail on that there. Facebook is going to tell you something very different. You know, if you ever compare Google Analytics to Facebook, there'll always uh, be discrepancies. By like, and by a lot. Like not, it's by, not, exactly. it's not by, by like 2%. Yeah, it's by orders of magnitude. Is You think it'd be like 2%. You're like, no, it's off by like triple. Like it's, yeah, it's very strange. It's very, very strange. And I think, so a lot of what we've been trying to work on is giving, um, our clients first party data. So we have our own pixel. So all that data that Amazon or Google or Facebook has, our mission is to kind of give that to mid market or smaller, the smaller guys. And so, you know, you know, the users as they came through the site, what they did, if they, you know, obviously be compliant with privacy laws in the, in the process. But with that, you start to have this asset you build of like, you really understand your customers and you're not seeing it through the filtered view of Facebook or, or Google, um, and you can you can do some really amazing things. It takes time to build that data set, though, to do the AI on it. And that's something that um, you know it can take you two years to build the data set, and it takes you two weeks to have the algorithm run against it. So Today's episode is sponsored by Drip. Drip is the world's first e-commerce CRM and a tool that I personally use for email marketing and automation. Now, if you're ever in an e-commerce store, you need to give Drip a try, and here's why. Drip offers one-click integrations for both Shopify and Magento. There's robust segmentation, personalization, and revenue dashboards to give you an overview of how your automation emails are performing. One of my favorite features of Drip is the Visual Workflow Builder. It gives you a super easy way to build out your automation rules visually and see the entire process. It lets you get started quickly, but also build very complex automation rules. It's powerful, but also easy to learn, unlike a lot of email tools that offer the same type of automation. To get a demo of Drip today, you can go head over to drip.com BOE. That's drip.com slash B-O-E. Now, onto the show. Yeah, so if somebody's kind of listening at home and they want to do something like this, right? They're running their AdWords, they're running their Facebook, they have their analytics, um, maybe even some, they have their Shopify, BigCommerce data. Where do you even get started trying to like put these all together? So one of the easiest things you can do to get started, just to kind of like get a sense of your customer base is most people have acquisition costs, you know, customer acquisition costs, CAC, you know, and there's ratios of your customer acquisition costs versus a lifetime value. So one of the ways to get a lifetime value is a really simple, simple way is just get your customer records and your orders. And just with some very basic Excel jockeying, you can see which customers buy a lot. And then you can also look at returns. So if you have customers that buy a lot, you know, you see a free shipping, they buy all the time, but they return all the time. You can start to say, okay, we're going to filter them out. And you can start to build these little segments manually. And, and, and in the analysis, you'll come across all sorts of really interesting insights. So you can start to slice the data by geography or zip code, for example, or even state, cities, things like that. But it really starts to what they call recency, frequency, and monetary. RFM is what they call it in customer analytics. But you're looking at that as kind of a way to think about what your most customers look like. So how recently they purchased, uh, how frequently they purchased, and then what, how much they actually purchased, the monetary piece as well. 
Um, and that can all be done with just, you know, exporting a customer list out of Shopify and doing some very basic, um, you know, Excel jockeying and some pivot tables and things like that. Yeah. I feel like being good at Excel is like a superpower in this and <laughs> many industries. Like you can just, every once in a while I talk to someone, they're like, yeah, I don't know Excel that well. And they're like, you, you might want to take a course. Like that's. Yeah. It's, uh, there's, yeah. And if you're really hardcore, um, you know, a lot of this stuff can be built with Python and, um, in some some stuff with these notebooks and a lot of stuff, you know, if you can just do some very basic coding, you can kind of huck it in there and get the, and you know, get the data clean and get it into an, um, a notebook, they call it and, and start to see what it does. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's where it gets really fun. Okay. So, but you would say at least try to get as much data as you can out of these, like figure out how to suck it out of Facebook, suck it out of Google, like just get it out of their platform basically. Yeah, I think getting it back. And the nice thing is um, you kind of need a way to like, they call like a master key, if you will, or a way to kind of like align everything and yes. an email address. If you can get an email address, you can kind of, you know, match that to your customer record, maybe match that to um, a lead gen ad in Facebook, for example, and, and kind of pivot that. Again, like this is, it's not trivial to do this stuff, so it can be kind of complicated. But if you grind on it, you'll be real, all of a sudden, and it takes time, but you'll start to see your acquisition costs fall because you're really honing in on the right target audience or those, those lookalike audiences, for example, can be really well done. Um, and you run like a more profitable business at the end of the day because you're not spending money on customers that are going to buy in return. Um, so if you have to go out and raise capital, it can be a really powerful asset if you really understand that kind of the mechanisms and the lifetime value off actual your own individual data. You can go and say like, hey, we have an L- a lifetime value of three years and it's about you know this type of revenue and so it costs to acquire these customers investors really like to hear that. And even if you're wrong, maybe there's slop in the system, but the fact that you're even thinking that way, they really, really like to see that kind of sophistication we've seen. Well, and just having that data kind of gives you the the guts, right? To say, I'm willing to like 10X down on this. Like I'm willing to really take a big bet on X because I, I believe in it. Like we have the data, we did the analysis. Because without that, you're basically just gambling at that point, right? You're just trying, like you're trying random things unless you really know. Yeah, and we... Exactly. And it's kind of that we call it the, you know, the social media slot machine, yeah. where you just kind of throw it, pull in the slot machine, hoping you get three cherries and you, you know, cash out. And, um, you know, there's also that, uh, I think Andrew Chan, he was growth at, at Uber. He's at Andreessen Horowitz, but he had this thing, he calls it kind of the law of bad click throughs. Basically, uh, he uses a little bit more profanity, <laughs> in it, but, um, basically over time, if you identify an acquisition channel over time, you know, economics, tells us that, you know, people will flock to it. And so if you, we've seen a lot of businesses that will get built in two or three years on like say Instagram stories or some sort of, you know, Snapchat or some sort of hack like that. But over time, it eventually kind of starts to acquisition costs rise and the lifetime value isn't there, then it can really kind of put you in a bad spin if you can't exit the business. Yeah. So. I was talking on the last show on uh, the very last at 134 and I'm old enough to remember when AdWords, AdWords was cheap. So we yes. were like, this AdWords right. is like a great deal. <laughs> <laughs> like, ah, it's like, you know, 10 cents per click. And now it's like, you can't even, you couldn't, you couldn't get a 10 word key, a 10 word term for 10 cents at this point. So it's exactly, yeah, different. But like when it first came out, when these channels were new, that was a thing. And like, if you look at new emerging channels right now, like you said, like when Instagram stories was a new thing that was possible. So it's just, it's a matter of the platform and a time. And it, if you're reading old, you know, ebooks or blog articles, they're already past days, right? You need to look at what's coming up now. Yeah. And I think on, and then, and then testing with your customer base, because, um, you know, 
there, that's, that's the whole trick of it. You know, if you can jump ahead and get a piece of it, I'm always a little bit nervous to build on platforms that like a Snapchat, for example, like it's great, but be thinking about ways with a cross channel approach. We're like, okay, we're going to, we're going to harvest customers on Snapchat, but we're going to move them into an email sequence or we're going to put them into email because that's a channel we can own. We can do automations and flows that way, but we're not just purely relying on Snapchat to make revenue for us. So kind of managing the risk a little bit yeah. um, with a cross channel approach is something we, we really try and work with clients on. So when you're saying cross channel and the whole master key, right? The part that kind of, I see is a little tricky, right? Once you get that customer, you get the email address, like that's a master key. I get it. That's like your email address. I can email you. You're a unique person. What do I do higher up in the funnel, right? Like when that first, when that person just happens to click on the ad for the first time, just happens to view a blog post, you haven't, you, you pixeled them, but you don't, it's five steps before the email. What do you do there to kind of link that all together? Yeah, kind of top of the funnel, middle of the funnel, and bottom of the funnel, yep. um, I think are Tofu, mofo, really and bofo. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, the little the yes. fun acronyms. Um, I would say it really depends on kind of like we could maybe a better idea or um, think of this might be let's run through an example. Do you want to give me like an example that we can kind of riff on of like a, a company? Because like B2B or B2C, price point, all this I've seen really influence in radical ways. So why don't we come up? We could do a. We could do a Yeti cooler. Yeah, Yeti cooler, coffee mug. Coffee mug's good, actually. It's a cheaper product. I feel like okay. it's feel like cheap right, is an easier, uh, you know, it's usually a shorter window, right, of time. So, Excellent. Okay, so we'll say we're, uh, we're going to sell the Yeti coffee mug. Yep. We're like 30 bucks at retail. Um, so top of the funnel, I mean, seeing it, you know, let's say they came in from a paid ad on social. Um, we can start to see kind of what they're doing, you know, and to your point, we can pixel them. Um, what we're looking for at that point is we might look at Google Analytics to get started and say, for this product category, how fast do people purchase? And if it's a coffee mug, we know they most 80, 90% buy within the first day. So we know that that purchase decision is going to happen pretty quick. Um, and, and you can and that's something this Google can pull out, right? That can, you can say people yeah. that start like first time we saw them to check out and you can run that all on analytics, dump that out. Yeah. And that'll give us, and again, we'll, we'll get, um, they'll have a customer ID or, a, you know, we don't know who they are necessarily, but we'll get a sense of like for this product, this is how these users buy. And if you have enhanced e-commerce with Google analytics set up on your site, it's pretty straightforward to do this. Um, so let's say we have that data. We'll look and say, okay, most people buy a mug and at 30 bucks, they're going to buy in the first day. Um, we'd want to look for any like lurking variables in that. Do we offer free shipping, no shipping? You know, what is that? You know, is it, Either products sold with it, you know, we may look through our order day a little bit on that. Um, and knowing that people buy within the first day, we would say, okay, well, we're going to run some pretty uh, heavy retargeting based on maybe time of day um, and see what that's going to look like. Um, and then the next step I would say we could kind of test a little bit is usually what you see is like a lot of people buy in the first day and then, you know, out at day 21 or day 30, you'll see another kind of bump where people purchase. So we might run some tests to say, you know, we're going to start to do, we're going to fire up retargeting two weeks later because we see a nice, you know, farther out, some customers start to buy then too. And then we can look at our acquisition costs. Is it cheaper then versus like trying to hit them really quick within 24 hours and kind of test it that way. So, okay. So you're really looking down at, down to a product or product category or just product level and really try to map it out on like, what's the, not like what's the buying journey at the top, like just for my site, like I sell Yeti, let's say I'm Yeti and I sell coolers and mugs and chairs, not like what's that, but what's the, what is the journey for this coffee mug and what's that look like? 
Yes. And I love, and let's say it's a brand new customer. They're not, you know, they're not on an email list or something like that. It's pure customer acquisition. I think then, yeah, looking at the path length is, is in Google analytics is a really, I think, good place to start. Um, cause you know, if it's a higher price point or more, there's more research involved in the decision. That's where like, you know, search and forums and Reddit can come in, you know, customer reviews, all that kind of stuff that can kind of influence it. But I always say like in our experience, the lower the risk, the quicker the conversion. So it was like, it's a coffee mug. It's got, you know, 4.8 out of five stars, 3000 people reviewed it. The brand of Yeti's behind it. It's a, you know, we took the risk out of it. I'll probably purchase it. Yep. Um, you know, if it's a new emerging medicine for, um, say you have an allergy or something, <laughs> you know, yeah. and there's side effects that might increase, you know, it might be like profuse bleeding from the nose or something. <laughs> then yeah, you're going to probably spend the path length to convert will be a long time for you. Everyone <laughs> purchase that or something. Yeah. So would you say start with kind of the simple products that you don't, you're not trying to map out like a 90 day journey. You're trying to map out like a two hour journey. That's the beginning. Yeah. And again, I always like to come back to like, what is margin turns or what, where we make, you know, if we don't make, maybe we make say 20% on that $30 mug, but we just sell them like crazy. The margin, you know, the turns may make up the margins Whereas, say the cooler make 50% margins. If I'm Yeti, we might think about, you know, you got to run some math to figure out where to kind of focus and what the top line profit, top line revenue and profit can be from it. So it gets a little bit, a little bit more into the finance side of it, but, um, yeah, low risk decisions that purchase in the first day. Those are those are great. The more complicated ones that could be a couple of weeks. Um, one of our clients sells really high end backpacks, and that can be like eight to nine visits before they purchase. Um, and these are extremely well made, super high quality, like four or five hundred dollar backpacks. That's a very different customer journey where you might need to drop them into a. You might you know get them to sign up for a. a three part series and eat, you know, on Facebook and an email series. And you kind of use an email and Facebook back and forth some retargeting all that to orchestrate it. Uh, for some, so for something like that, how do you, once you have that analytics data, is there a way from Google to actually link that pixel data with the email address or like when, right? Cause I'm trying to think when do, can you see that full, how much I spent on an ad to acquire a customer versus that same customer bought once, maybe they bought 10 times. Like, how do you kind of, how do you link, where does that get ever get linked? Or does it, is that, cause I know Google tries to obscurify that, you know, the pixel, like the visitor down to the actual physical human. Yeah, there's, and there's like, for example, in Google analytics there's sessions versus users. Yep. Um, so you have cross device challenges there where, you know, I go, I see something on my phone, I research it on my tablet, but then I check out on my, on my laptop. So, you know, that can be potentially three users. If I want different IP addresses, it could be three users, um, to Google or, th you know, in different sessions. So that's, that's all very, gets really messy pretty, pretty quickly. Um, you know, I would say, you know, you can look at return on ad spend and that's, that's a, that's a good metric to start with. And that's kind of what the industry standards are. But when you look at um, your margin structure in there, you know, you may be able to handle, you know, maybe a 250 two to 250% return on ad spend because your margin structures are so much better if you're selling direct. So you maybe make a 70% margin. You can take a way lower ROAS number because you're just make you know, you just make more cash on the back end. But you're trying so to say think, that that return ad spend on that first, like you're not even looking at, hey, we can get them on the email marketing list and sell another two, three, four times. You're just saying, what's the return on ad spend on that number one sale at that point? 
Yeah, and if we're running a Fourth of July campaign for Yeti to sell Tumblr drinking cups or whatever, like we might just you know time bound it by a holiday or something like that and, and run it. If you're running more of an evergreen campaign, that's a longer term piece. You know, you can segment by the campaign by dates and geography and all sorts of interesting things like that. But to your point, and that's kind of the holy grail, right? The where that user came from, I actually I, I know them. You know, there's a lot of permission based marketing that needs to be built into that where the user can sign up or get some value in exchange for that. And that's, I think, where the next phase is really going is loyalty. You know, Amazon Prime is is built around getting that really good visibility to the user and the loyalty around it. So I think a lot of mid-market companies can do some fantastic stuff with loyalty. And I will, you know, I'm gonna log in to earn my points or get exclusive access or whatever. Now I really, have, I can, as a data scientist, I can really match you to all your attributions, where you came from, device, all that good stuff. And in exchange for that, you know, you're you're getting hopefully rewards through loyalty. Yeah, because I've always come started thinking that like loyalty, right? Like that user that you acquired maybe through Instagram was just kind of even if they purchased the same product, maybe they they would just happen to be scrolling through some let's just say Instagram or Facebook, right? They were just scrolling. They weren't thinking of buying, but they happened to see the mug, they liked it, Fourth of July is coming up, they just hit buy, done. But that user that maybe acquired through um, PPC, they were searching best coffee mugs they were doing and you have a whole different campaign maybe paid more to acquire that user but it turns out now they're like a coffee mug aficionado and they ordered nine of them uh, i know <laughs> they just kept buying more coffee mugs but and I, I actually own like eight yeti so maybe that's, <laughs> me too <laughs> maybe i'm just talking about me um oh, i'm the same way <laughs> yeah so you understand so like you might have paid less to acquire that person through social but they just bought it as a gift real quick versus that other person pbc is googling about coffee mugs they're a nerd, they have researched them, but then now they just keep buying. Is there any way to kind of link up all that data to really understand, oh, the PPC one is really like, it's not just convert, because it's the ROAS is worse, right? So it could be significantly worse with PPC, but maybe because it's so intent-based, you know, I'm just thinking of a scenario like this, where like a very deep, and that's big, right? And that insight could really change like how you advertise. Yeah, you're asking some fantastic questions. I think that for a lot of, e you know, it's easier than ever to get into e-com, right? I mean, it's it's <laughs> it's so easy to get into it. It's also incredibly hard to be profitable or run a good, you know, and you, you, you can see companies that can get to 20 million and like basically breaking even or barely producing any profit for the owners because of all this stuff. Um, and so to your point, yeah, intent versus inspiration, right? Inspiration on social. Oh, my friends are at the beach. Yes. I need that coffee mug. That looks like it'd be fun, blah, blah, blah. Or the, you know, intent of like best coffee mug for commuting. And that's, I think where PPC starts to weave into like SEO. So if you can look at your, your keyword campaigns and which phrases are kind of working, um, by campaign, you can start to think about writing blog content and email series and welcome series and things like that off that. Whereas, um, and this is where AI and machine learning gets a little bit black box where you can huck all this stuff into Facebook and Instagram and it'll go find you customers. And you know, here's how much I'll pay to acquire them. This is what it kind of performs. But you're not really getting at the deeper the deeper economics or what's going to build the profitable business side of it. And that's okay, by the way. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. It kind of depends on your overall goals of the business. But I want to really understand as much as possible what's driving my not only my top line but my profit. And if I'm acquiring a lot of customers on Instagram and they're not that profitable because they buy and they return all the time because it was an impulse buy, you know, I'd much rather like punt a little bit on top line revenue. But knowing uh, PPC is giving me consistent customers because their intent was there. They bought what they were really looking for. They don't return, um, you know, 
and this gets in the weeds a little bit, but I think the way you can, how you can kind of start to track that to track that is with really good UTM parameters or really tag the links really cleanly and really, this is whiteboard, sit the whiteboard and really think your campaigns through cleanly and then tag all those links. Instead of just saying 4th of July campaign, you know, 4th of July intent, da, 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 da you know, very, very clean tagging is, is a good way to get at it. Uh, Cause that'll all flow through Google analytics. And then you can start to like have the file folders, if you will, on how traffic's coming in. Everything's kind of neatly organized in your file cabinet. Um, okay. Yeah. It seems like what you, it seems like the way you're approaching this, you're zooming very like deep in on a very specific product campaign, like, like in analyzing just like one very particular flow, at a t- like I trying to isolate it, um, analyze it and then move to the next one. It's kind of what it sounds like your approach is. I think, yeah. And especially in mid-market e-com, there's so much to get done. And I would, I would say analyzing off profit or, or whatever you're trying to do with the business is super important because again, over and over and over again, I've just seen so many businesses that are doing five to 50 million and nobody has any idea kind of how they've done it or they built it on some things that were a little bit shaky and, you know, like Amazon, for example, you can whip up a store on Amazon. That's great. And that can be good for cash flowing it. But if you build the whole thing on Amazon, like all of a sudden you get a letter from, you know, Amazon saying, Hey, we're going to take two more margin points this quarter. You know, what are you going to do about it? Well, you don't, you know, you built something on land you don't own, you were renting it. (laughs) And so yeah. Being, being very thoughtful on that piece of it and then back, you know, and then once you understand one flow or one product or one one economic part of the lever, you can expand out into the other parts of the business. Yeah, I think I've talked to, I was talking to a founder once and kind of said, how did you grow? And because I talked about this marketing channel and they're like, yeah, but and like they like astronomical growth within 12 months. And they said, yeah, but when I like kill that channel, we're doing this other thing. And I was thinking, wait, why? Why, why are you doing that? And they're like, that's not ultimately, we just, we knew we could do that to like, you know, like that was like the steroids, right? On, it was bad. It was like the crack, right? They were going to do it. They, <laughs> yeah. they knew they could get big, but they knew it was, a they're building on sand. And they knew as soon as they get to a certain point, they could hire, you know, X number of people, these very specific roles, then they could do everything internal and go from this like shaky foundation to now we're going to really build it the way we want to. I always found that like the most insightful, but they did it with such, like they knew we had to get to this certain revenue goal so that we could hire XYZ so that we could really run these campaigns and now we can really do it because they couldn't do it. They couldn't start from zero. That was the thing and they knew it. That's awesome. I think that's a huge piece of it. And back to the economics, I mean, a lot of this stuff you've seen some some implosions with direct to consumer companies because they've raised money from investors and all that money basically goes to run paid ads and they're not thinking about some of the unit economics. Um, there's some really good professors, uh, ones at Wharton and Peter Fader and other guys, uh, Daniel McCarthy, he's at Emory. And they do some really good breakdowns on like um, pub IPOs, like S1s as companies go public. And they've looked at like Slack and Peloton and Wayfair. And they go after Wayfair pretty hard uh, off the numbers. And it's, it's really interesting because their acquisition costs are so high. And when you figure in all these other things, but the lifetime value doesn't make sense. So they're kind of propped up with, um, you know, investor dollars and, you know, the unit economics sooner or later will come home to roost. So mm. yeah, if you know what you're going to do and like, look, we got to to your point, we got to do some, do the steroids to get the thing going to then transition out. I think just being very thoughtful at the outset of what that is. Yep. What are some of the things that you've seen as people started to scale have come up or either they, they've thought of or haven't thought of as a scale? Um, cause those are always kind of surprising. It's almost like, um, like a game of golf, right? Where you have to like, 
you have to you have to like get good at one thing, but then as soon as you do that, you're basically now doing something else. It's like not that thing anymore. Yeah. Oh man, it's the what got you here won't get you there. Yeah. All the time. It's like all the time. I think like what scales yeah. constantly. That's all the, thing. the time. Yeah. I think um, a couple of different things. One I've seen a lot is they don't have good roles defined on the team. Like, oh, so and so. You know, we have a digital marketing team. Well, what does that really? What does digital marketing really mean? So, you know, good roles, accountability. Like, here's you know, this person's doing SEO, and this is how we're going to hold them accountable. Um, the other thing I've seen a lot is is the area to scale is it'll take a lot more capital than they realize. Growth takes cash, and I think that's something that can trip people up. You can go really, really fast, but say you're on Amazon and you don't get paid for 90 days, like your cash flow cycles will eat you alive on that. So um, that's a that's another one I've seen. Um, honestly, the other one too is just like not knowing margins or being super tight on no understanding their margins and all the costs that go into that. Um, and then um, and then like what are the how do we you know what are our goals for this year and this quarter and then breaking them down by month and week and like every week just grinding and looking at the data making tweaks and modifications off that. A lot of folks don't even really know what they want to do on every 90 days or, you know, why well, we want to grow 30%. Okay, well, exactly how do you grow 30%? Well, we're going to do it on Facebook ads. Okay, what kind of Facebook ads? On mobile? I, you know, like you got to get very specific because until you get it down to that level, you can't really measure it. And if you can't measure it, you're just kind of throwing stuff at the wall. And you can get, luck you can get lucky that way too, but um, I'd much rather – not use luck. I'd much rather use science <laughs> as yeah. much as possible. Well, I mean, if you're defining, if you're saying for your quarterly goal, we're going to run 10 experiments. Like we don't know which one's going to, yes. like we're going to run some mobile, you know, three mobile ones, two desktop ones, two on Facebook, three on AdWords, whatever. And you kind of just define these are my experiments. That's, that's one thing you're doing. You're still doing science and you don't. Yes. And that's your measurable thing. Did you run 10 or did you only, you know, you only actually get five, right? Done, whatever. So at least that you can actually measure the experiments. And out of that, then next quarter, when you set your goals, you might come back and say, okay, we found out eight of them were dogs, but these two, now our quarterly goal is to 10x down on these two experiments we ran. So that's, as long as you kind of know, you know, you can still try different things. You just need to know that you're trying things like and separate them out. Yeah. And I would just, I was, uh, I was a physics major in school. So one thing I, when I wasn't like the most brilliant math <laughs> talent for sure, but one thing physics taught me is like, what are our givens? And like, what are we trying to solve for? Yes. And if you think about what are our givens, you know, and what are we solving for? It's very simple, but if you can kind of use that logic. Yeah. We're going to try user generated content on Instagram. We're going to three ads around these types of value propositions. That's awesome. Like totally go for it, you know, and more often than not with that stuff, you'll be shocked, you know, Number three, which you thought was awful, will outperform everything by 10x. And, you know, that's that's how you unlock this really good customer acquisition funnel by testing some of that kind of stuff. Um, but a lot of times as they scale, as they get ready to scale, you know, they don't really even have some of these pieces in place. You know, they've, they've done some of that stuff which got them success and is awesome, but you can't repeat that in a repeatable way or have a process for making repeatable experiments. And maybe that's kind of the biggest lesson I've seen is – be very thoughtful on on that part of it. Yeah, I've definitely I've seen folks um, taking some notes here, but they kind of see something that's working, and instead of doing the experiment themselves, they're almost copying someone else's experiment, and it gets them further faster. But then, like you said, as they scale, they're not seeing why. Like they don't, they don't have all the failed experiments, right? So they don't know why other things didn't work and why this one did. So when they try to, and then whatever, Instagram stops working and they need to do that same thing on another channel, but they can't figure out how to replicate that on Snapchat anymore. They're just dead in the water. 
So I've definitely seen that. And a lot of times it's just because people are just reading something or copying something, but they're not really understanding why they did the thing in the first place. Yeah. Hacks are great, right? Yeah. We all want hacks. We all want a shortcut, right? The yep. problem with a hack though, is you oftentimes you don't understand why it worked as well as you probably need to. And if it works for a while, you start to build this false confidence in it. You know, the whole joke that once you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And then all of a sudden you walk in and everything's a screw. It's like, Oh, I can't really pound a screw into the wall yeah. <laughs> without a lot of effort and mess. So yeah, I think that's a, a very common thing. And especially with online, cause you can go on Twitter or follow along with some of these really smart, you know, PPC or paid media experts and you'll, you know, you can copy some of their methods and, and get it working. But again, like I've seen over again where the algorithm changes, right? And then all of a sudden it doesn't, you know, your ROAS blows up and there are some people have horrible lives because they're on these massive like emotional swings where ads are killing it one day and then they're not the next and then they're back up and you can see them on Twitter just like self-destructing because they're so like freaked out all the time. And I always think of like when it comes to customer acquisition and retention, you really want to think of it like your, like your 401k, right? You're going to want maybe a few risks stocks, but you also want some really good blue chip. You know, you want some bonds, you want a little bit of diversity, like you want some email humming, you want some SEO going, you know, some, some forums or referral traffic coming in versus just betting the whole farm on, uh, on Instagram ads or something. I like it. All right. I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Don't bet the farm on Instagram ads. <laughs> you can a, bet the garden. As I always say, you bet the garden, not the farm. <laughs> that's, that's a quote of the day. Bet the garden, not the farm on Instagram ads. <laughs> that's right. All right, Jake, if people want to find you, kind of learn about what you're working on, what can they do that? Uh, yeah, the, um, I have two websites. I teach, uh, digital marketing and e-commerce. Uh, it's at, one is at ondigitalmarketing.com. There's a bunch of stuff I just kind of open source for free if people are interested in how you can use like user empathy and digital marketing cross channel. So that's there. And then, um, the company we run is, is tadpole.com. And for folks that are interested, we have a thing called benchmark.tadpole.com and it's a live 24 hour index. We're grabbing all sorts of data and normalizing it. And you can see how your site compares to shifts by geography for revenue and transactions and oh, all sorts cool. of things for average order value, conversion rate, all that stuff. So we're building that out and kind of opening it up to the community. So people uh, have a data set they can compare to. And if they're way off, they kind of know where to start. If, Hey, we have good traffic, but conversion rates are really down. We should focus on on-site conversions. Um, it's nice when you can compare yourself to a, some sort of a benchmark lead. So, yeah, I that's like, a good place to start. I like that. I will definitely turn the show notes, so people should check that out. Awesome. Well, that was super helpful. Thanks for uh, coming on today. My pleasure. I very much appreciate the invite, and uh, thanks for for putting content like this out there. It takes a lot of work to put together a podcast, so tip of the hat for doing the work. <laughs>